Well, hello there, Richard Tubb here, back with another episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. And today we've got a very special episode for two reasons. Firstly, this episode is recorded live at ConnectWise IT Nation in Orlando, Florida, and Hurricane Nicole is doing her best to disrupt us, so we're literally risking life and limb to be here with you. Perhaps not so much, but secondly, this is an episode I have long been waiting to record. My guest today is Raja Pagadala, the Managing Director of London-based MSP, The Final Step. Not only is The Final Step one of London's oldest and most well-established IT businesses, and a 22 winner on the MSP 501, but Raja himself is actively sought out by some of the industry's top vendors and businesses to act as an advisor and confidant. More than that, Raja is somebody I consider one of my oldest friends in this space and one of the smartest minds in the managed service industry. Raja, at long last, welcome to Tub Talk. Thank you, Rick. Uh, thank you for the introduction. I think it might be a bit overrated, but thank you anyway. I think most of the most of the people who suggest that their introductions are overrated are actually being very, very humble. We have some of the smartest minds in the industry on the show, and I put you up right near the top of them there, my friend. So and I, I should immediately address the, uh, not the elephants in the room, but I've been joking about at long last I've got you on the podcast. So you may be one of the most sought-after minds in the IT industry, um, but you can be a little bit like the invisible man when it comes to social media and things of that nature, can't you? I'm not uh, that big on social media. I find it uh, very distracting, so and it uh, spoils my thought process. Yes. So I tend to stay away from it, but I'm being persuaded by the marketing guys that I need to do a little bit more. <laughs> well, let's get down to business then. So many of the listeners will know I used to run an MSP business. That's where we became friends, isn't it? So we first met at the Microsoft Worldwide Partner Conference. I'm going to say Houston, Texas. 2006, 2007, something like that? I think it was July 2008. 2008. Yes, well, there you was. go. So that's a long time. A long <laughs> time And um, I interviewed Dan Scott, uh, a community uh, director for, for ConnectWise. And we were talking a little bit about the history of HTG. And I mentioned to Dan that you and I were the, the first two HTG 11 members, for the, which HTG 11 was the group in the UK wasn't it? And then that group sort of uh, grew from there. Um, how, how well do you remember that time? What were your experiences of getting involved in peer groups of that nature? I remember it really well because in uh, at the Worldwide Partner Conference, I kept hearing about HTG and I thought, hmm, I need to find out a bit more about this. And people said, go and speak to Arlen Sorensen. So I tracked him down and he can be elusive at times and asked him, you know, tell me a little bit more and do you have any plans to come to the UK? Um, he said, we don't really, but when uh, we do, we'll let you know. Um, I kept in touch and um, the first meeting was in October 2008. If you remember, we were at a hotel not far from Heathrow Airport. Yes, I do remember it very yeah. well indeed. So, And I'm trying to remember who was there at that meeting. We've probably got photographs that we can put in the show notes uh, for this one, going way back in the day when we were all looking a lot younger. Well, um, James Cash, yes. who is still involved, I call him the father of the house because yes. he's, he was also there at that first meeting. So, yeah. And you know James well. Very well indeed, yeah. So peer groups, HTG, CompTIA, Tech Tribe, uh, communities of that nature, 
you know, you've got involved in peer groups and communities. What do they mean to you as an individual and what do they mean to the final step as a business? I think sharing experiences with your peers is really important. Um, First thing is you learn a lot. I don't think I've ever gone to a peer group meeting where I haven't learned something valuable. Um, If you can help other people, I think that's a really good thing to do. And in turn, when they can help you, they help you. And if you can share best practices, you can um, make the learning curve less steep. And it just gives you an opportunity to step away from your business and see the wood for the trees. As well as that, you end up making friends um, and running your own business can be lonely. Yes. Um, And speaking to other owner-managers is very helpful because often the issues that you have are ones that they have had or have solved. And it's a really good opportunity to help each other. Yeah. Let's move forwards a little bit, or let's go backwards a little bit, I should say. So you're one of uh, London's most established IT businesses. But for anybody who's not familiar with the final step, when I, I talk about, you know, Raja, Simon and the team, I always describe the final step as like a white glove MSP. And what I mean by that is the clients you work with, I know they trust you implicitly. They're in need of that sort of exceptional support that you provide. And I know you consider many of your clients now as long-term friends as well. You care very very deeply for their business. So tell us a little bit more about the final step. Tell us about the type of clients you work with and how the final step serve them. So we're now in our 36th year, which um, kind of tells you how long I've been in the, in the game. <laughs> um, I think the reason that we still have clients from the very first year of trading is we pay a lot of attention to um, customer satisfaction and playing really listening carefully to what they want and what they really need and working in partnership with them. I always see things in the long term. Um, I'm much better with long-term planning than I am with short-term planning. And um, I see it as a real partnership. So we have retained clients from year one. And um, when clients join us, they tend to stay for 10, 15, 20 years. And when they leave, often it's because, you know, they've been acquired or some other event which is not um, down to the actual service. So I see CSAT as really important. Tell me a bit about, and I've never asked you this as a friend, like the history of the final step. Um, uh, um, What got you into the IT business? You know, what's your passion for it? And when did you move into the managed services side of things? So I guess my interest first started uh, way back in school in 1978 when the school got uh, computers in. And if I remember correctly, they had 2K of memory, Um, 2K. And in 1981, um, I got a sharp MZ80K. I'm really showing my age now. And um, just had an interest in technology. And when I finished university, I thought, oh, I think I could run my own business which was about as much planning as I did to go into it. And that was in July 87. In 1996, uh, I could see that competition was increasing. So we had to find a way of differentiating ourselves. And we became both Microsoft and Novell authorized. For those of you that remember NetWare. Yeah, very well indeed. uh, 1997 uh, turned it into a limited company. And really haven't looked back since then. Mm. Um, And we have grown every year. And 
so far it's gone very well. And what about managed services? When did you first come across that concept of, you know, recurring revenue, flat rate IT, that type of thing? So I often have this uh, conversation with Paul Dipple, and a lot of your listeners will know Paul. Yeah. Because we do quite often report time to our clients and how they've used us, he argues that that isn't true managed services. One of his definitions is you can't report time. Um, what I see it as is I call it fixed fee rather than managed services. Right. And what that means is that it gives clients an opportunity to even out their expenditure. And um, we are very transparent with our data. So we show them how they've used us. I have a concept of good time and bad time. So if a client is misusing us, I'm, you know, I'm very candid with them. I show them, look, here's, here's how you're using us and it's not getting the best out of it. Um, and the aim is, you know, when your clients succeed, all you have to do is hold on to their coattails and you succeed with them. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I see it as a true partnership. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about the final step uh, as it exists today. How many members of the team have you got? Where are you uh, based? What type of clients do you work with? Um, we're based in central London, very close to Euston Station. You can walk to Euston Station in less than a minute from our office. And um, we are 20 people. Um, I'm very blessed with the people I work with, my management team, and you know all of them. Uh, but we've been together now for 17, 18 years. And Sam and I went to school together, so that relationship is even longer. And we work very well together. We challenge each other when we need to be challenged, and we get on well, and we all um, row in the same direction. Mm. What type of clients you work with? Are they predominantly London-based, and what sort of vertical do they fit into? So they don't have to be London-based. There's, mm. a, there's a link with London. Often the head office might be in London. Right. But effectively, we have supported companies that are currently supporting companies that have offices in New York and Australia. Um, the clients, what they have in common, I think, is that they all value their time. They understand that to do IT properly, it has to be done professionally. And it's not just a case of, you know, clicking next, 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 and then okay. Uh, And they see us as their professional advisors, very much like they do with their accountants or their lawyers, et cetera. And our job is to help them to succeed. So the, the common theme is that they are knowledge workers and they tend to be in professional capacities where time is extremely important. Yeah. What about the tools you use? Do you mind sharing with us uh, what your MSP tool bag looks like? So we're very invested with ConnectWise, as you know. Mm -hmm. I'm here in IT Nation. I'm on their advisory council. And um, we have been using ConnectWise since 2009. Um, And I'm no longer operational, so I don't get too involved and the guys are very good at dealing with it. And it's very rare for us to speak to our clients in terms of tools or technology. I tend to speak to them in terms of business and in terms of strategy. I'm a strong believer that the IT strategy follows the business strategy, not the other way around. Right. So it's really important for me to work out what are my clients trying to do, where are they trying to get to, And how can the IT support them to do that? And that's often how I frame the conversation. Mm. 
you said you no longer do much on the operational side. Do you still enjoy rolling your sleeves up? Would I've never asked you this either. Would you consider yourself a, a nerd, a geek, a techie? Uh, I certainly was a techie. Um, I was both Microsoft and Dovell certified. And like a lot of people in this space, we are techies who happen to run a business. Um, there came a time when I needed to manage the company more and candidly get out of the way of the other people in the company who are much stronger than me in lots of areas. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, my job is to put that team together and make sure that they have the tools and the ability to succeed. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to say I'm a techie now because they'll all just laugh at it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still get excited, though, when you see the tech that they, I was going to say, play with? And I mean that in the nicest sense. Of yeah, uh, very much so. And I still know enough to be able to ask them awkward questions. Yes. So they they know that I might not know the you know the bits and bytes and the absolute detail, which they're very familiar with. But they know I understand enough to be able to work out, you know, what's the point of the tech yeah. and not tech for tech's sake. Let's talk a little bit about your team. So um, without going into specifics, there's been some of the industry's real, what I consider luminaries, have worked for the final step and, you know, have, uh, have grown, moved on and doing great things within the industry. Uh, now, every time I visit your offices, the team are, you know, wonderful. You and Simon are always very accommodating, very smart people. You seem to attract incredibly good talent. Yet you're in what I would probably consider one of the world's toughest markets for attracting good quality talent in, you know, in the middle of central London. So when it comes to competing for that talent, how do you attract? What's the, the secret sauce? How do you attract those good people? So one of the questions you're encouraged to to answer when you are running your own company is why do you exist? Why does the final step exist? I guess I went through that exercise about 20 years ago and it took a long time to work it out, but I concluded that why we exist is that we're there to help people fulfill their potential. And I define what I mean by people and I see that as my, my colleagues first my clients second, um, my suppliers and vendors third, and the broader community fourth. Mm. Um, people often say, oh, why, why have you got colleagues first and not clients first? And I ask them a question. In a hospital, who's more important, the patients or the doctors, nurses, porters, etc.? And everyone says, well, obviously it's the patients. And I go, actually, I'd argue it isn't. Um, the hospital exists for the patients, mm-hmm. but for you to be able to give the kind of service that the patients deserve, you need to look after the doctors, the nurses, the porters, the support staff, etc. Because how you deliver that excellent service is through those people. When people join the final step, I say to them, listen, my job is to help you fulfill your potential. And you need to tell us what we need to do for that. Um, and we have a pretty structured onboarding program. It's evolved over 20-plus years. Um, we're absolutely not an easy place to work for. We are pretty demanding, right. but very fair with it, and at the end of the, the day, we want you to succeed. I think that comes through, um, and as, as you've said, you know, even when people leave us, I say, listen, 
if it's fulfilling your potential to go and work elsewhere and your career is going to accelerate even faster, actually, I'm in favor of that. Mm. Um, so I think fundamentally what we demonstrate is that we care. Um, and because we care for our colleagues, they in turn care for the clients. Yes. And that really comes through. If, if you were to ask any of our clients, you know, why you use the final step, I think a lot of them would go because actually they care. They, they give us the right advice and they tell us the things, things that we need to know. Yeah. yeah. Rewind a little bit. 1987, I think, it, well, as you said, you, you know, started the business or the embryonic version of what we now know as uh, the final step. Fast forward, we're recording this podcast in November 2022. A lot has changed in that time. If I can pin you down to what would you say is the, the top thing that's changed in business in all of that time? Um, I think business has got faster. I think it's got a lot more agile. I think the SMEs can now compete with the enterprises because you have access to all of this great technology and you can be virtual, you can be a small team of four, five, six, seven people and you can compete with the big boys. Now, that certainly wasn't the case in 1987. Yeah. And technology has really enabled that. So... We have clients, um, so you know, I can think of clients that we started when they were 10, 15 people, and then they went on to be 250 people. And obviously, their own services and the sectors they work in, they're very good, but the technology has enabled that. If anything, that pace of change is increasing, and it's our job to help our clients to work out how can they maximize that? And that's what I mean by you need to understand their business strategy and where they're going. And then you need to work out, well, how can the technology help them do that? Yes. You know, it's not about, hey, is a, is a Mac better than a PC? Um, or, you know, how much memory does your phone have? That, that, those are the, just the details. Mm. Uh, it's working out that big picture that's really important. Yeah. In terms of your relationship with the clients, what does that look like now? Do you still uh, do you mostly do a sort of account management, or you know, speaking to the uh, business owners who you consider friends? What does that look like? So, as you know, I've known my clients for a very long time. Yeah, um, the day to day stuff is very much done by my team, and um, they are very good at it. And when we have review meetings, I actually ask my team, do you, do you want me to sit in or not? And sometimes they'll say, yeah, actually, it'd be useful if you're in. You can hear what's going on. Um, I think what I bring to those meetings is a broader perspective. So whilst they might be talking about Project X or um, change process Y, I will then go, well, how does that fit in with the bigger picture? Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's where I think I bring value. I'm very candid, I'm very transparent with my clients and that extends to telling them when I think that what they have suggested isn't the best way of doing something. Right. Um, and over time they realize that actually I will tell them the right thing to do even if it's detrimental for us. Yeah. Because I'm far more interested in that longer term relationship than I am in, oh, we could have got Project X or Project Y. Yeah. Um, I can give you an example, you know, when we were coming out of COVID and people were doing uh, hybrid working, you know, one client wanted to know 
how do we organize this hot desking in the best possible way? Uh, they were looking at some fancy programming and lots of stuff. And I said, you know, you, you really don't need all of that. All you need is a shared Excel spreadsheet where people can just fill in when they're in the office and leave it to them, let them self-serve. And they were like, oh, wow, that's a really quick and easy way of doing it, isn't it? And I said, yeah, you don't need to go any fancier than that. Mm. Um, and I said, and when you do, I'll tell you. But right now, that's fit for purpose. That's the sort of advice that makes them come to us and go, actually, let's give it to the final step. They'll think about it. They'll come back and they'll suggest options A, B, and C. Yeah. You've got a relationship with your clients that many people listening to this will really admire, uh, perhaps envy, dare I say. Um, and obviously, you've reached a stage where they trust you implicitly. I've already mentioned that. Um, can you remember back, though, to when you had to have tough decision, uh, tough conversations with them? Perhaps they were pushing for one thing so, and, uh, and you were saying, that's not going to be the right fit for you. So cast your mind back to when you didn't have that trust. How did you broach those conversations with them? So my job is to help my clients make informed decisions. Um, even with my text, when they say, oh, what should I do? I say, well, if you put yourself in your client's shoes, what's the best thing to do? And then they go, oh, well, I would do this. And I say, well, in that case, go and do that. So with my clients, what I do is I say, you know, here are your options. Here are the pros and cons of doing A, B, and C. And if they say, I want to do option B, and I don't think it's the best option, I'm very clear about I do not think it's the best option for the following reasons. However, if you want to do it, we're right behind you. you know, we won't jeopardize it or anything. And over time, it becomes a, it's a true conversation. Um, and you never shy away from those difficult conversations. That's how you earn trust. So even with the clients that I've known for a very long time, we still have difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. um, because it's a methodology for ending up with the best solution. And here's the thing. If you're wrong and it ends up, you know, option B wasn't the right thing to do, then both parties go, you know what, that wasn't the best option. Let's change track and do option A. Right. So if you have that openness and that agility, um, it works It works well. Yeah, makes absolute sense. I know you're a student of the game, so to speak. You're a student of business. You enjoy understanding how things work. I also know you're a big fan of uh, Jim Collins, uh, the author and speaker. I've heard you mention Collins' quote before, we cannot predict the future, but we can create it. We've talked about the past. What's the future you're trying to build with the final step and for your clients now? Well, I'll start by talking about the past. Um, when I started this company, networking really didn't exist. You know, for those of you who remember floppy disks, that's how you shared information. On the first networks, if you remember things like Lantastic. I do, um, and then we had Ethernet, and then along came the internet and email, and then along came cloud and doing things in a virtual way. At each of those stages, what we've had to do is look at where where is this going? So even now, and I think it's a real privilege that we're working in a sector that changes so quickly. Um, even now, my job is to work out where is it going now? Obviously, the focus right now is cybersecurity, and it's going to remain like that for the foreseeable future. And giving your clients the best advice. 
prioritizing things. No, no one has the budget of GCHQ. So by definition, you have to prioritize. And telling them, here's what the roadmap looks like. And we do roadmaps for our clients. So we, we show them where we think that the business should go. We update it every year. We refer to it during the year. And working that out is really important. I think this trend towards hybrid working, virtual working mm-hmm. is going to continue. I think the world is getting a smaller place. You can now employ someone from anywhere. Um, you go out there, the fight for talent is huge. So actually showing them that your IT works is, is really important, um, particularly on their first day. You know, making a good impression to your uh, new member is really important. And what we have to do is shape that path for our clients. So, and that's part of the reason I attend events like this, because you get to hear really clever people telling you where they think things are going. And you then take that away, you think about it, and then you work out, well, how is this applicable to my small domain? Yeah. Um, I, I want to pick up on something you said there. You take these things away from these very smart people, these speakers, you know, thought leaders, all this wisdom, and then you think about it and then you implement it. There's going to be people listening today and they're perhaps not in the position that you have, you know, rightfully earned where you've got that time to think. So cast your mind back, you know, earlier on. uh, How did you carve out the time to think when so many MSPs listening to this, you know, even if they go to an event like IT Nation, they get inspired, then they go back to the office and they just get crushed by, you know, the help desk tickets and everything else. You know what it's like. How do you start carving out that time to think? So if you were to ask anyone in my company, what's our most valuable resource? I will assure you now that they will, every one of them will say time. It's a finite resource. And what you have to do is to have the discipline to put something in your calendar. It can be quite a long way away. And here's the trick that worked for me. I dealt with it as if it was a client meeting because there's no way I would cancel a client meeting or delete it or, you know. So when I put that slot into my calendar, I was like, okay, that's a client meeting. I'm the client. And once you get into that mindset, it's like, oh, I can't move that meeting. Yeah, so it's non-negotiable. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the trick that made a difference for me. Yeah. And once you've done it a few times, it becomes more of a habit. Now, obviously be sensible about it. Don't put it on a Monday morning at 9 a.m. when, you know, all mayhem might be breaking loose. Um, But pick good times and then go, that's a client meeting. I'm not moving it. Yeah. Um, So it's a trick that worked for me. Yeah, and it's something I picked up from from you and Arlene Sorensen as well. When I booked in the travel, and I did a lot of it back in the day at these conferences, um, very quickly I learned that it's not just the conference itself. You then had almost a follow-up meeting with yourself, you know, and I would book it in for the following Thursday or whatever to review the uh, uh, the notes and things. But I think that makes it for the difference between the people who go to these events and come across these great ideas and never execute and the people who actually start taking action on them. And it's all about taking action, I think, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, I was at a Cronus Summit earlier this week 
in Miami. ConnectWise's uh, Tony Thomas took to the stage and he cited you, Roger, as a prime example of someone who goes deep into serving your clients' businesses. I dropped you a text, didn't I? And I said, you've just, just made the keynote at a Cronus Summit as well. In, in practice, what does that look like, though, going deep within your clients' businesses? Well, first of all, thank you for sending me the text, because if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have known about it. <laughs> um, I know Tony Thomas well. I've got a lot of respect for him. And we've had some conversations over the last uh, six months or so where I was telling him how I approached the problem of business continuity and disaster recovery. And explaining that it's got nothing to do with the underlying technology. Um, and it's a, it's a mindset, it's a way of thinking about it, and that's the mindset that I take to my clients. And we talk to them, and we take a very holistic view about it. Um, it's not just about, oh, look, I brought the server up. At the end of the day, if your client can't work, the fact that you brought the server up or not is completely irrelevant. And... Tony embraced that way of thinking, the strategic way of approaching business continuity and disaster recovery. And this is something that we've been doing for oh, 10 or 12 years. Um, our office was in the BMA building where the bus exploded outside on 7-7. So we got into that mindset of what do you do in a disaster a very long time ago. Right. Um, you know, that's, what, 18 years ago now? Yeah. And, um, and that we have refined over the years and now got to something. And we test this with our clients every six months or 12 months, depending on the client's requirements. We make sure that it is fit for purpose and remains fit for purpose. That peace of mind is what your client is buying. It's not the piece of hardware or the software or whatever licenses you're paying for. That, right. You know, those are just details. Yeah. Any other keynotes you think you're going to get featured in? I reckon you <laughs> should see if you can do them all. Datocom, <laughs> Kaseya, you know, all the rest of it. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> you were often referred to as a strategic expert, you know, and I think it's clear to anybody listening to this, you're very big on strategy, you're a student of the game, very smart at that. So people who know you well refer to you as a strategic expert. I know that you've shared this uh, four-step methodology for helping clients break their IT bottlenecks. Now, we'll include a link to this because you've got a really helpful PDF on the Final Step website, which uh, I'm sure you won't mind IT companies downloading, even though it's a client-facing thing. But can you give us a high-level overview of what that methodology looks like? Yeah, I'm very surprised by um, prospects who phone and say, you know, how much do you charge for IT support? And what it indicates to me is that they've taken a very tactical view of their IT and not a strategic view of their IT. It seems to me it's the wrong end of starting. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Price and cost, particularly in the current climate that we're in, is really important. But if you pay, you know, £10 for a meal and it's an awful meal, it's still an awful meal. Right. Um, so for me, it's more about value. And I describe value as you, you pay X for a product or a service and you feel you've got more than X back. That's when you're delivering value. So when we get clients doing that, I say to them, look, 
Let's start a little bit higher up. Let's see the wood for the trees. And the first thing I think you need to answer is, where are you right now? And we have an audit process where we look at it from a technical point of view, but also from a business point of view, a client's point of view, and a end user point of view. And we put all of those together. And that answers the question, where, where are you right now? The next step for me is to actually analyze all of that and say, is this fit for purpose? Is, is where you are now going to get you to where you want to be? All of the time, the answer to that is no. But by definition, they're calling you because there is something wrong. Right. Um, so we then look at, okay, what's the root cause of why things aren't where they're supposed to be? And it really isn't, you know, my, my laptop hasn't got enough memory. And we look at that, analyze it, and then present it back to the client and say, in our opinion, here's where you are now. Here's what we found out in the audit process. Here is our analysis of what the root cause is. And here is a suggested roadmap work plan for what you need to do to get to where you want to get to. Obviously, we haven't known the client for a very long time at that point. So that's why it's a suggested roadmap. And then we ask questions and the client says, you know, you've got all of this right. There's a little bit of detail. that." So we, we adjust it as we go along. And then invariably clients will say, now we're getting the point of what you're trying to say. And then they'll say, okay, let's start. We start this change process. And at each milestone, we stop and go, were our assumptions correct? Is this methodology correct and if it is we carry on and then when we finish the project we say right let's stop take check and reevaluate what the next thing to be this process of continuous improvement invariably means in 12 months time the client looks back and goes oh wow i can't believe our it used to be that awful 12 months ago right and then we combine that with the roadmap process etc and then we say here's what you need to do with your it so often the first one or two years tends to be let's get you, you know, at least to best practices. And then it tends to be now let's see how IT can really help your business thrive. Yeah. yeah. And you have to go through that logical, structured, planned approach to get there. And you can see that's a very long way from how much do you charge for IT support. Yeah. Um, and not every client gets it. Actually, most clients, once they think about it, it actually answers the question of, well, actually, why hasn't the IT fulfilled its potential? Why hasn't it done what it's supposed to do? Um, and I think that's the real reason that we get clients staying with us is that we show them this methodology and then we back it up with actually delivering what we said we would. Yeah. A couple of follow-up questions based on that. First one would be, I think everybody listening here who's got good at managed services or good at IT support is very familiar with once the client's pain has disappeared and things are just going along swimmingly, quite often the client will then say, what is it we're paying you for? Because they don't remember the pain. So you talked about that, you know, the roadmap and moving them from, um, you know, a poor position into a great position. How do you remind them that, hey, you recall, you used to be here and we've helped you get to there. Does that make sense? It, it does indeed. I call that the um, justify your existence problem. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually a phrase that Canal Wise have adopted 
for uh, partners so that you know we have this issue of we continually need to justify our existence. So whenever we have review meetings, we obviously show them the CSAT, the ticket data, etc. We show them the progress that we've made to date, and we ask for feedback. Um, we ask for, you know, hey, what have we done well? Where are the things that we could be better at? And it's a candid conversation. It's an opportunity for the client to give us candid feedback. So the aim is to demonstrate, and you do need to demonstrate to your clients what you're doing for them. Um, it's, it's justify your existence. Now, we've been using that phrase for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the reason that clients stay, is that we have this follow-up process. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess second part to that question was, you know, you talked about root cause analysis. You talked about being strategic about the evolution of uh, the clients. You speak with a lot of MSPs, probably almost as many MSPs as I do. You know, you facilitated um, HDG, ConnectWise Evolve groups. You speak to lots of different MSPs in the market. Why do you think that more MSPs don't take that attitude of looking for root cause, uh, do the analysis and improving their clients strategically as opposed to just responding all the time? I think it comes back to one of your earlier questions, and that is it is incredibly time-consuming. So when we do our audit process, you know, it's not stick a tool on the network and spew out 400 pages of completely meaningless uh, data. And that process, not only does it take time to do the technical analysis, speak to end users, speak to the management team, speak to... You know, key stakeholders in your client's business, it then takes time to think it through and then go, right, what do we need to do? It is not an easy process. Yeah. But it's a very worthwhile process because actually you're you're solving the problem properly. You're not doing a you know sticky plaster band-aid fix. Um, and clients recognize that after they've been through the process. So if you ask our clients whether who've been through the audit process, they go, actually, that was incredibly valuable. And, you know, I argue with them, you you need to know which path you want to take before you start marching, not just point in any direction and let's just walk as quickly as we can. That that will not get you to where you want to get to. Um, So it's not for everybody. It's time-consuming. It requires experience. It requires um, patience. But if you are serious about you know, developing a, a, an MSP that is worth its weight, then I think it's a very valuable process to go through. Yeah. And I'll pick up on something else that you said, and that was about delivering more value than you take in payment. I'm paraphrasing you there, but I'm brought to mind of Bob Berg, the author, or co-author of um, with John uh, David Mann of the Go Giver book, which I know you're a fan of, the same as me. Um, I think you embody the philosophy of a go-giver. You know, you you give of your uh, time and experience to help others. Um, you deliver more value than you take in payment from your clients. You're so well thought of by everyone you know. And I'm not trying to make you blush here, uh, my friends, but what I would like to understand is, were there any events in your life that helped to mould you into the go-giver that people can hear from today? Uh, that's a really good question. 
I guess ultimately it must come from my parents. Um, they were both doctors in the NHS. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were GPs when, at a time when GPs looked after your patients 24-7. And I saw them working incredibly hard. I think that's where I get my work ethic from. And I saw them helping people. Um, so it, it, and it, it's the same question around, you know, why does the company exist? It, it exists to fulfill people's potential. And so I, I have facilitated, I've done lots of things. Um, and what I find is actually the more you give, the more you get back in return. Yes. So, you know, that, that works very well. It's, it's in my nature. And here's an example from one of our clients that's been with us for a very long time. When they first came to us, they didn't go with us. And um, the director of the company said, hey, look, we're not going with you. Um, I was overruled at the board. You were more expensive than the other companies. But may I stay in touch? And I said, yeah, of course. Please, please do stay in touch. You know, very, very happy to have a conversation with you at any time. Uh, about eight months later, the company, after several conversations, came back and said, look, all the things you said would happen have happened, and we want to switch to you. And I said, yeah, of course. Um, now... If I hadn't said, yes, please stay in touch, yeah. and we hadn't had those conversations, I wouldn't have the, had the opportunity to demonstrate what type of company we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very happy to you know, throw my tuppence worth in for, with anybody, whether it's a so-called competitor. Uh, I'm, don't worry too much about competition. Um, or vendors or my staff, my colleagues, I'm very happy to sit and spend some time with them. Yeah. I'm thinking back to situations where I've seen you, not not in a confrontational situation, but people have challenged you very vigorously, shall we say, be it vendors, be it other MSPs, and um, I, I've been there as an observer to it. I was reflecting on this. I don't think I've ever seen you flapped. <laughs> but surely, Raja, <laughs> surely there must be times or situations where you know, the, you, you, you get flapped and you react rather than respond. So I think, you know, your level of emotional intelligence is one of the highest I've ever come across of individuals. Tell us what goes on behind that cool exterior. <laughs> um, I'm pretty analytical. Uh, so when someone challenges me or gives me a difficult question, the, the first thing I do is try and see it from their point of view. And try and understand the challenge. Um, and you know, there are plenty of times when they're right. And when they're right, you just turn around and go, "Yeah, actually, now that you've pointed it out, you're right." Um, but after I've looked at it from their point of view, if I still don't agree, then what I try and do is to say, "Look, if I'm understanding correctly, this is what you're saying." But my response to that would be, um, "So it's." very rare for me to have an emotional response. Uh, I don't really get annoyed. I don't get flapped. Yeah. Um, and yes, people notice that and say, you know, do, do you ever get bothered? And I said, well, don't confuse being bothered with stuff with how I respond. They're, they're two different things. Yeah. Um, so yes, there are plenty of things that bother me, but how I respond is, is pretty predictable. And I think anyone who knows me will say, oh yeah, he's completely predictable. otherwise known as boring but yes (laughs) completely predictable 
I don't think you're boring, but let me put you on the spot then and ask you this question. What would you say is the biggest mistake that you've ever made in business and what have you learned from it? Oh, loads of mistakes. Um, I don't know about the biggest mistake, but I can tell you something that I didn't really appreciate um, early enough, and that is your business will succeed by the quality of the people you put around you. And that's something that I didn't appreciate early enough. And, and I think managing people, nurturing people, developing people is a skill that takes time to learn. So I think there have been plenty of times when I've just not done that very well. Um, now, if you were to say to me, what's the one bit of advice I'd give someone? I would say, pay real attention to the people you surround yourself with, whether it's your colleagues or you know vendors or professional advisors or anything. P- pick really good people, listen to them, pay attention to them, nurture them, and that will see you progress at a much faster rate. And I think I've made lots of mistakes on that front. Mm. Professional advisors, do you, is there anybody that you consider a mentor or coach? Oh, yeah, not, not a good question. Um, I don't know whether you know Hardin Byers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I first met Hardin in 2009, actually at an HGG meeting mm. um, in the U.S., And I remember saying to him at the end of that first day, Harding, quite clearly you are destined to be a mentor. Uh, Just by watching his interaction with the group, et cetera. Well, um, Harding went on after he was CEO, uh, went on to set up his own consultancy and I ended up being his first client. So from 2009 to now, Hardin is a very good friend. Um, he's a lovely man, very wise man, and is very good at analysing situations and knowing just the right thing to say. Mm. Um, and I would very much think of him as my mentor and I'm very honoured to have him spend time with me. Mm. What about, you know, I said you're a student of the game. I know you enjoy reading. Uh, what are the books that have influenced you? Oh, I, I do read quite a lot. Um, I like, you know, Simon Sinek. I think what he says about healthy organisations is really important, uh, which, again, comes back to the people thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you create an environment that allows people to succeed. Uh, so if those of you who haven't read any of Simon Sinek's books, uh, it's it's well worth well worth doing, so... What's the one book that you would say that you gift the most often to other people? Would it be Simon Sinek or somebody else? Um, I do gift quite a lot of books, and uh, Simon Sinek is definitely in there. Um, Patrick Lencioni with uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, That's a good one for companies that are trying to accelerate. Um, Ultimately, teamwork is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody... There's only 24 hours in a day, and if you're trying to do everything yourself... There is, by definition, there is a limit to what can be done. So getting a good team together and making that work is really important. I'm very conscious of time. And I'm, I could talk to you all day, my friend, and we often do. And how many times have we sat and, and then I've gone away and, and thought, I wish I'd have recorded this conversation. 
<laughs> but now we are recording it so other people can benefit from it. And I think everybody listening will uh, will understand why I'm so excited about uh, speaking with you. But for the benefit of listeners, you know, 30 plus experience of uh, years experience of running at top, what we now call MSP, what would you say the number one piece of advice you would give to people listening about running a modern MSP would be? Take into account what I said about people. I think it starts there, particularly given what's going to go on in the next couple of years. Yeah. Pay real attention to the numbers because they do matter. Uh, But pay attention to the behaviours that lead to those numbers because the numbers are often a, a lagging indicator. So work out... What do I need to do? What are the levers that I need to pull on to make those numbers change? And then pay attention to the behaviors. If you pay attention to that, then the numbers kind of take care of themselves. So, yeah, focus on the people, play the long game, and pay attention to the numbers. What does the future hold for for you, Raja, and for the final step as a business? Um, That's, again, a good question. Um, I'm now 57. I've been doing this for... 35 years plus, and at some point, I guess in the next 10 years, I need to think about um, having some kind of transition. I'm hoping that the final step will continue. We have been very successful, um, and I would like to see that continue and be some form of legacy. Um, I have a very capable management team and uh, good staff, so let's see. I can't ever see myself not working. May not be at the final step, but um, you know, I, I, I'm not one for sitting around and doing nothing. So I will, I will do something, Rick, and I'm sure we will, uh, we will speak about that in time to come. <laughs> well, if anybody listening to this, you know, and I'm guessing it's going to be a lot of people's first introduction to the phenom that is Raja Pagadala and the final step. So I think you've made a lot of fans by doing this. So I truly appreciate your uh, time stepping out to to sit down and uh, talk with me. But if anybody wanted to continue the conversation with you, how can they find you? Because as we've alluded to, my friend, (laughs) you're not the easiest man to find online. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) Uh, social media isn't the way, or or at least not yet. Um, Just drop me an email and um, be specific about what you would like to talk about or how I can help. And if I can help, I'll do my best. Yeah. Are you comfortable for us to include your email address in the show notes? Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 What's what's the email address for the benefit of listeners? Raja, R-A-J-A, at thefinalstep.co.uk. Wonderful. You may regret sharing that (laughs) out, but I like the way that you positioned the question. That's specific questions there. So, yeah. Roger, this has been an absolute pleasure. And let, let me just publicly say, as a friend, you've been, you know, alongside me for nearly all of the most important decisions that I've made in my personal and professional life over the past, God knows how many years it has been. So thank you from the bottom of my, my heart. And uh, thanks for taking the time to sit down with me. You are one of a kind and we appreciate you. Thank you very much, Rick, for the opportunity. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. 